I'm assuming your last name is pronounced Gorski. Absolutely correct. Okay, perfect. I don't know why people get that wrong all the time. Oh, really? Oh my gosh, yes. Gorsk. Is it only Gorski or how else can you go? In fact, I just had someone the other day. Uh, Gorski or something? Gorski. Adding people who just want a higher letter score on Scrabble from your name? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Like, I don't get bent out of shape about it, but it's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that hard. Yeah, well, I will try to spread the word loud (laughs) and clear. It's Rob Gorski. I appreciate that. Which it would have been great if you just stopped me and said, actually, it's Robe. Yeah. (laughs) Because that would have been the... (laughs) Yeah, you got Gorski right, but you blew my first name. Yeah, it's Robe. Yeah. Il Jonata Itaiba, which is hello in Maltese. Hello and welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the creator of Daddy Unscripted and the host of the podcast. Thank you to Antoine for telling me that I should include Maltese as one of my languages at the beginning and end of my podcast. It's just something I do for you guys, giving you another language to be able to greet and say goodbye to people. And you never know when you're going to need that in life. So I'm here for you guys. Also, not just me here with you guys today, but here with us is my guest, Rob Gorski, who I just finished my conversation with him. And holy mackerel, cow, crap, whatever thing you want to say after the word holy. Uh, This was a fantastic conversation. And I just filled up a cup of water and was thinking to myself, this is one of those people that is like a hero to me in my eyes. Somebody who does these great things and fantastic things that if I was to have said that to him, I'm sure Rob would have kind of scoffed at that or whatever and maybe politely thanked me for it. But it is one of those inspiring conversations with somebody who does great things that those things are their normal. And so I think that's why it would come off kind of surprising to him. But Rob is a father of three autistic children. His wife has Asperger's and is autistic as well. And the the challenges that that family faces on a, not just a daily basis, on a minute to minute basis, and the things that they do and overcome and make their life around is astounding and humbling. Like in a way, I was thinking this just a minute ago as well, of some of my complaints. Now, I, you know, it's kind of like I used to go to the Philippines for my old job all the time, and I would see the way that some people lived there and the squalor and how happy some of them still were and um, how nice and friendly, but also how little they had. And it really would make me come back and have a different outlook on life when I came back from those countries. And now having this conversation, and I'm uh, this isn't going to last every minute of every day, but it is one of those things where it does not only inspire you to 
hear the stories that these people are telling in this, in this, I shouldn't say these people that Rob is telling in this circumstance, but that it does make me feel like, A, I can do so much more and I can do a lot of things that maybe sometimes I don't feel like I can. It was inspiring to me in that way, but it also did give me a little bit of that. Maybe I shouldn't be so quick to complain about A, B, and C because I should keep in mind what some other people's challenges are, etc. I haven't talked about this a lot in my podcast at all, but my daughter is autistic. She is very, very high-functioning. She basically, at her 10-year-old age, is just kind of funky, different, quirky. She has her little challenges still as well that we maybe recognize more than some other people do. Um, But I think she will be a lot like me when I was young and maybe even as an adult, just kind of... (laughs) Just kind of to use a word that I would not use to her face, but just kind of weird. And people have always thought that of me. I'm different. I'm unique. I'm funky. I'm weird. I'm goofy. Whatever word you want to use. And she will, I think, have that kind of thing for her lifetime. And we had different struggles earlier on in her life that I talk about in this um, conversation with Rob. But the one of the things I didn't really talk about with him And the thing that really did impact my wife and I when my daughter was first kind of assessed and seeing her in some of these groups um, that she was with, with other autistic children and seeing what these parents were dealing with, it would absolutely crush me and humble me and also make me have that feeling of, I am very fortunate because the level that my daughter was at was very challenging for us and very difficult for us and and challenging and difficult for her as well. But also like seeing some parents whose kids could not receive or give any kind of love, could not be hugged. Um, it, It broke my heart, like thinking about the, what parents were having to find as their connections And there's that old video. Maybe I will find this and see if I can put it in on my website, a link to it or something. But there's that old video that was maybe on 2020 or something like that. But this dad whose daughter was completely nonverbal, was unable to express herself. And finally, they found a way uh, putting her in front of a computer where she discovered that she was able to use her language that way and was able to type and say these things that she was never able to say. And it was this like huge outburst of information and emotion and everything. And it was this door just opening to their relationship and her being able to say like why she would hit herself and all of these things. And it was crazy. And that had such an impact on me uh, when I saw when our daughter was young and with her level of autism that she was at and Rob's family and what they are faced with and how they do it and how well they do it and how brilliant his kids are and how he manages to make everything work for them is just really phenomenal. So before we get to this episode, I will 
remind you that the Daddy Unscripted podcast is part of the Osiris Podcast Network, which is a great and growing network of music and culture podcasts. And I will give you 30 seconds here or so of one of those podcasts telling you a little bit about them. Southern Songs and Stories is a documentary series on the artists, music, and culture of the South with interviews, songs, a good bit of history, and insights into how all of it fits together. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, inviting you to come explore the music of the South and the artists who make it on Southern Songs and Stories. Okay. And without further ado, or I don't really know how to say that in Maltese, so I'm just going to leave it like that. Now I will go right to the conversation with the creator of The Autism Dad. Here is my conversation with Rob Gorski. We are here today with Rob Gorski from all over the internet as the autism dad and his website is the autismdad.com also on twitter with just underscores between the words so the underscore autism underscore dad so as you guys have probably gathered from the website we are going to uh, get into some of the things revolving the world of autism and um, children and rob you have uh, three kids with autism, three and a wife, three and a three, wife, three kids and a wife. Oh, wow. I did. I wasn't. So there's my honest response. I was not aware. There you go. Um, so that's cool. We weren't either for a long time. Oh, really? So yeah. And, and we talked before this, like I basically have, uh, I have not been diagnosed by anybody other than myself, but when we went through stuff with my daughter and her assessment years ago, I kind of said, oh yeah, I'm down with all that stuff. Like that is 100% on key with how I was as a kid and all of that. So we will, we'll get there. I promise you guys, we will get there, but let's go back and go into some of your history, Rob, and your uh, paternal line. So wherever it makes sense for you to start with that. Well, I am the oldest of six kids. Mm. Um, three brothers and two sisters. My, my mom and dad, uh, have been married since 77, I think. Mm. Uh, I was born in 78, you know, and, and we grew up very family centered, I guess. And mm-hmm. we didn't have, you know, my, my dad worked a lot, uh, because we were, you know, it's a big family and my parents made it a priority. They had decided a long time ago that they were going to send us to Catholic schools. And so my dad, you know, worked a lot to cover tuition and and things like that, you know, and, and, but he was always involved in soccer or scouts or whatever it is that we were doing. He was always, he was always there for us. You know, my mom, uh, is a stay at home mom and, you know, she was there, you know, to get us off to school. And when we got home from school and, and things like that and drive us everywhere that we needed to go. Childhood was for us was pretty good. I mean, we had friends in the neighborhood and stuff like that. And, 
you know, is, as I got older, my dad and I have very similar personalities. And so when you hit that age where you're sort of pushing back on authority, you know, we tended to, to butt heads a lot more because we were very much alike. But as, you know, as I got older and I went to college and I, and I was on my own, I think, I think I have a better understanding now of, of what, you know, how things were back mm-hmm. then and, and a much deeper appreciation for all the sacrifices that my parents have made. And, uh, you know, my dad is, my dad is still working. He's, he's in his, I think he's 65. He's 65. Mm. Uh, he has his own painting company. Uh, that was always his dream was to have his own painting company. And, uh, so he's been doing that for a while now, but you know, I mean, we have a really good, I can come to him with, with anything and, you know, he's always there helping out and, and whatever he can do to, to help. Uh, and my mom is the same way. And my parents are very religious, maybe not quite as much as they used to be, but, uh, so they wanted us raised in, in Catholic education, but it, you know, that there's this misguided sort of ignorance. Maybe that's not the way to say it, but you know, you assume <laughs> that you're in a Catholic school, that things are going to be like, you know, perfect and whatever, whatever. But the reality was there is lots of drugs, lots of, mm-hmm. lots of things that you would find anywhere else. You just don't think that it's there. And so in a lot of ways, I think it's almost worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, just from my experience, cause I went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school and Walsh is a Catholic university. So what is the, so the cliche of the Catholic school girl is so tremendous and we all know what that yep. means. What is the Catholic schoolboy cliche? You know, uh, there was a lot of, it was a lot of sports, I think. Yeah. And just, you know, I don't, I don't know. There, there's, <laughs> there's just, I mean, it was not, it is not what you would think. I mean, we had all kinds of problems. You know, yeah. you never, you couldn't escape it. But you know, I mean, it's it was just you that worked. you worked harder to hide it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was, it was. It, you know what you have? You have a lot of people at that age, at least in the high school. You know, religion or or church, whatever, is probably more forced on them than than what they maybe were willing to do on their own. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of rebellion you know, in, in high school yeah. and yeah. definitely rebellion after high school. But, you know, I mean, it's, it, it was a positive experience. I think I wouldn't have wanted mm-hmm. to do it, you know, if I could do it over and I don't think I would do it any different. Yeah. Uh, but it just, it's, I mean, if you're sending your kids to Catholic schools because you think like it's whatever, it's probably just as bad. It's going to be a pristine else. experience <laughs> and not pay for uniforms and tuition. And that's the only, thing yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And before you, so I, I, I don't know, are you a practicing Catholic now? Uh, no, no. Um, I, I, I had, I had a, you know, I, um, let's, let's see. I don't, the only reason I ask that, so we don't have to go into the depths of your, um, your levels of shame or sin, Rob. Um, <laughs> well, it, but, you know, it's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's interesting because I haven't, I, I've been meaning, I mean, I don't know, this is probably in a direction that you're not, but, uh, you know, we had, 
Oh, man. We had uh, somebody in my neighborhood when I was a kid Mm -hmm. um, who was very much involved with the church. And he he was he was he was somebody that we should have been able to trust uh but we we couldn't and he he got to a lot of us mm-hmm. and there was no uh nobody nobody really listened you know mm-hmm. and that that sort of sort of changed my view of things because yeah uh, you know that's not that's not that's not something that he I mean he wasn't he was a member in the parish he, he wasn't like a like a priest or anything one of like the that. priests yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but he 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 was well known he was always involved in everything and and if anybody you know, if it came down to your word against his, people are going to side with him. And, you know, there was just, and he lived right across the street, you know, and, uh, it just, it just, it just sort of tainted everything for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and completely then, understandable. Yeah. And, and I think the, the final straw for me was I had somebody I was really close to in high school, <clears throat> uh, had found themselves in a similar situation and, at a, at a much older age. Mm-hmm. And I, I was a part of helping them break free from that. Mm-hmm. And when I, I'd gone to my, the priest at the time and I, had, I, I was like pouring my heart out, like reaching out to them was not easy for me to start with, but I, I did because I felt like I was lost and needed guidance. And, and I was telling them all the horrible things that happened to this person. And they looked at me and they just told me it was part of God's plan. And I was like, Oh my I just, God. I unplugged. Oh God. I was done from that point on. I was done. I, I couldn't, you know, I, wow. in my, my brain could not process that level of, um, it's a cop out answer. It's what, it's what they say when they don't have an answer. Right. And when it, it's intended to make you feel better. I'm not sure how, <laughs> which, how could that ever? Yeah. How's that, that, how's that a positive thing? But yeah. yeah. So, so long story long, I guess, you know, I, I have my fundamental issues with the Catholic church Mm -hmm. and, you know, when you're raised Catholic, you were raised, you know, it's, it's, they're very, it's a very intolerant thing. Right. And, and and I, you know, when I started working in restaurants and stuff in, in college and, you know, I I had never met, I never met a gay person in real life before. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and so I just, my views had been shaped by ghoul and what we were taught and what everybody, you know, preached at you and whatever. Yeah. But then I had experiences of my own. Like I made friends with people, you know, coworkers who were, uh, who were gay. And I kept thinking like, like they're really nice people. Like how, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't understand. Like, how can you say that, that they're what, whatever. I mean, like, I, I just, I don't get it. And I had a manager that you know, we were, we were all really close and I had a manager whose partner, I don't know that he'd been together with his partner for a long time. And he, his, his partner, he had prostate cancer and he was going through chemo and stuff like that. Mm. And, and I saw, I was sort of able to experience that, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I saw him grieving 
you know, and scared and just, I mean, just, it was, it was the same thing that I would have if something like that happened to my wife or my dad would have if something like that happened to my mom. And so that it just sort of awoken something in me that made me realize that, you know, I am not somebody who is, um, okay with discriminating against people based on, on their, uh, sexual orientation or preferences or anything like that. And, and it just, it just took me a while to, to sort of shake off all that stuff that I had learned when I was a kid and, and sort of see things on my own. And, and, uh, it's just, so I, I have a hard time with organized religion in general, just mm-hmm. because it's, I think we're in a lot of the places that we're in right now because people make decisions based on their religious beliefs and, Mm-hmm. Well, that's okay because it's a lot of positive. Uh, it can lead us to some dark places, and it excuses. You know, people use religion to hide hate and and bigotry and, and intolerance, and I just I, I'm just not I'm not down with that. So I, uh, I I don't participate. I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, the mis the misconstru. I mean, that is. Oh man! Wow, this is going in a um, totally different direction. funky road. And I like it, um, but the you always hear about with ISIS and the Islams who are saying that they are misconstruing Quran. Like anybody mm-hmm. who is saying they are doing these things for God, like, or for Allah, like they are completely misconstruing. And I think that that is something obviously that goes to multiple religions oh, and yeah. what you are saying is true. Like the using that as a shield or yep. a uh, using it, offensively it or defensively. Yeah. You can yeah. hide behind it and you can try to use it as a battering ram uh, because you are twisting the words in a way that you want to, or somebody who's, you know, all the, yep. wow. Like go to cults, Go yeah. to the people who twist, you know, uh, gosh, what was his name? The cult leader. Jonestown. We just watched the special yeah, on that. The cult leaders who twist these words and make Manipulate. people believe. Yeah, exactly. So I completely understand what you're saying with that. And going back a step, if that was what a trusted leader is doing to you, I mean, that is like, Anybody who has something going on in a negative way to that extent from somebody of a level of trust, of authority, of whatever that may be, the blockade that is now there to that realm of authority is 100% understandable. And, you know, I was, I was molested when I was a kid by a nanny. I'm sorry that we had. It was a female, yeah. Um, which is always, you know, that's obviously not a either not very well, not talked about a lot or is not very rampant. And, you know, for me, my response has always been like, I don't want my kids with somebody who I have deemed that I have trust or faith in. Like, you know, I, yeah. I try to not take that to an extreme, obviously, but. And how do you trust? How do you trust? Yeah. You know, like, especially when you have, you know, kids like mine who in many ways are perfect victims, right? Because they're never going to tell you what happened Mm -hmm. and, or you won't find out 
until it's beyond a point that you can do something about it. Yeah. And, you know, so a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of those things have, have shaped me and, and it impacts how I approach my kids. And just on that, we had, we had several deaths in the family over the last six months and my wife oh, had lost, my wife lost uh, a family member last fall. And I was, I was walking, we were walking into the church and we were, you know, you escort the casket in and you sort of stand by and they do like their whatever ritual things that they do for the funeral. And I, I looked up and the guy that I, he was, he was like 15 feet away from me and it's, it, it's been 20 years, 15 years since I'd seen him and Mm -hmm. uh, man, like that, that, that screwed me up like a lot. I had a really hard time. It it just sort of broke me because I I wasn't prepared for that. I I hadn't, you know, and in that moment I felt like I was five years old or eight years old, whatever Mm -hmm. it was. And I, I, I felt like, like you shouldn't be here. He had, he didn't know anybody. He was, he shouldn't have been there anyways. He just happened to be there. And mm. you know, like my kids were, the kids weren't at the funeral cause we were trying to avoid funerals with them at, at yeah. this point, just cause we weren't sure what was right and wrong, but we were going to bring them to the reception afterwards. And you know, the priest had invited everybody. And so I, the whole time we're sitting there, I can't stop thinking like, Oh my God, like he's going to be at the reception. My kids are going to be in the same room. Mm-hmm. I cannot, like, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. And it took everything in, you know, in me to not like say something. And, uh, but you know, you don't know what anybody's going to say. I mean, my wife is the only person that knew aside from my parents. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want, I didn't want to make a scene and have that be everybody's last memory, you know? And and so I just sort of sat there, but you know, I, I, I went to the church afterwards and I, I turned the guy in and the diocese got involved and they investigated him and they removed him from any access to kids. And so, I mean, there was a positive. Wow. Yeah. Good for you out, out to it. But it, you know, it just, it, it just, it does. I mean, it, it shapes, you can never not have that thought in your head when you leave your kids with somebody Mm -hmm. and, and it just, it's just, I don't know. And so I, I just, like I said, like I, I think I, I believe in, I, I believe in God. I, I, most of the time I think, uh, mm-hmm. or, a, or a higher power, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the organized side of it, I just, I can't, I can't be a part of something or put faith in people who hide those kinds of things for one thing mm-hmm. and, and who openly discriminate against good people because of, of how they were created. And, and I just, I can't, you know, and we raise our kids to be very tolerant and we, you know, there's all kinds of families and, you know, sometimes there's, you know, no daddies and there's just a mommy. There's two mommies or two daddies or, you know, whatever it's, it takes all kinds of people to, to sort of make the world go around and we should, we should embrace our differences, you know? So I'm, I'm, we want our kids, we want to help. We want to be a part of ending that, that, generation of bigotry and, and intolerance and, and, and just sort of 
you know, have our kids be better. And, uh, a little bit ironic, I guess, because, you know, we need the world to be understanding and accepting of them because in a lot of ways they're different, but yeah, yeah. They're the ones who, who end up showing more tolerance for people, you know? And, and it just, I don't know. Yeah. That thing has been one of the, because I was, my, my dad was a pastor. We went to Christian schools all our life. Like I'm in that same boat. I absolutely believe in God. And, and the, the simplest little thing that some people say, like, this is not, and not to go back to the WW, what was it? What would, what would would Jesus do? do? Whatever. But like, literally, if you are somebody who believes in Jesus Christ, the way that he was with people is so completely opposite of how so many Christians or believers of him are being nowadays. And that is like the easiest base to go to, but it's so sickening. Like how, how do people not see that? Yeah. That That is so fundamental. Like, you know, if, if, you know, they say God created everybody perfect, he created them in his image. He created them, you know, he doesn't make mistakes. So if, if he created, you know, people who are different, who are we to judge them for that? Right. I mean, that, that that's, I, I just, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't get it. You know, I have friends and we have family members who, who are gay and, you know, and it's, it's, I, I, Oh, I could stop. So protective of people. I, I it just irritates me that people can can hide behind something like religion and proclaim to be doing God's work or whatever, and and they are they are just spewing hate and intolerance. And 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 these kids get raised in that. And mm-hmm. you know nobody's born to hate, and you learn it. And and we just teach these kids that and. Uh, you know, I mean, like nobody wants to go to hell, right? I mean, no one wants to go to hell. And when you tell kids that, you know, if you do this or you do that, or these people do this or they do that, they're going to hell because it's a moral yeah. sin or whatever. I mean, what kind of message does that send? Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, oh. And yeah, for some of those, like, you know, I was completely like entrenched and not entrenched, but massively saturated with all of that as a kid and the ease of that discrimination as a child, and I'm not saying that my parents taught me to hate or anything oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, my parents are not like that either. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So the just automatic like wall that goes up on somebody, and not saying that I wouldn't talk to them or whatever, like if I, you know, because I was I was born and raised in Laguna Beach, which is not as strong of a gay culture as it used to be, mm-hmm. I don't think, but it used to be basically the San Francisco or whatever of Orange County of that Southern California area. I think a lot of that has migrated like to Long Beach and other other surrounding groups. But so I was as a young, stupid male kid who believed that gay is wrong and gays are going to hell and whatever, you know, it was around me like a lot all the time. Mm-hmm. We actually used to, as teenagers, our favorite beach that we would go to 
was connected to, it was the next door beach, but there wasn't like any divide between it to the biggest gay beach down there. And so it was, it was something that I saw all the time and that immediate rose colored glass or whatever that went up as my opinion of these people has like always just sickened me as an adult of like, there's nothing I can ever do to compensate or pay back or whatever, aside from now my ability to be the complete opposite of that with people and not have any of that and be more loving towards them and whatnot. So that's all, that's all you can, I mean, that's all you can do. I mean, you, you, if you look at the state of the country right now, I mean, it is crazy. And, and I, and I haven't, uh, uh, religion, huh? politics, we're like breaking I know, all the same day, <laughs> all the rules. I, I just, you know, I have never been political at all, ever. I mean, I, I, I just wasn't, I had no interest in it, Yeah. but the state of things as they are seeing the things that our leaders have done, mocking people with disabilities, you know, things like that. Like I can't not involve myself because Mm-hmm. This is about my kid's future. And what's happening is all of these nut job, right wing hate people, you know, the, the, the extremists, they're all, they're all climbing out from underneath their rocks and, and they feel safe to, to display hate or burn churches or do whatever it is that they do, you know, have, have hate filled rallies and stuff like that. And, and if we don't stand up to counter that, you know, we have a much bigger issue going forward, Mm. you know, because they hate people who are different. My kids are different. I I mean, they are, they're brilliant. They're beautiful. They're amazing, but they are different. Mm -hmm. And if we allow ourselves to get to a point where, where different means bad or, or different means less than, then we've lost, you know? Yeah. And, and, and so, People, you know, I know I've turned a lot of people off in social media just because I, I, I don't keep my mouth shut. I say what mm-hmm. I think and, mm-hmm. and it's, and they ask, why don't you just go back to just advocating for autism? I was like, well, because in a lot of ways that is what I'm doing Yeah, Be- because, you know, if we allow this stuff to go on, you know, the, the, just with healthcare, if, if they pull away the protections for preexisting conditions, Autism is a pre-existing condition, you know? Yeah. Yeah, if, totally. If we don't realize You can't that, insure before that. Yeah. We couldn't get coverage for any of the kids. Mm-hmm. Private insurance would never touch it, you know? And and, and so it, it should matter to everyone, you know? So, you know, that's that's my motivation for, for standing up because I, I just, whether it's religion or it's political or whether it's just people being whatever, you know, I, I want to set an example for my kids and I want them to emulate that. You know, I, I want them to mm-hmm. be the ones who stand up and defend somebody who can't defend themselves or be the person who comforts somebody who's being teased instead of being part of the problem, mm-hmm. you know, and if we don't lead by example, they're never going to learn that. And, and so, you know, that's my political religious thing. Yeah, I I meant to tack on that 
there is more that I can do now than be different than what I was. And that you hit it on the head. Like it is teaching my kids. It is speaking and being very like open about what I feel is right and not doing it quietly and on my own. You know, it's what I said before is almost like not very beneficial because I'm not helping anyone. And to those people who are saying like, why don't you just stick to advocating for autism? Even if it, it was just that, like, why, why should any of us just shut up and let hatred go amok? Like, what is the benefit of that? The people who are standing up and trying to win back what used to be a little bit more the norm, uh, as opposed to this new normal, which I, I won't say that that's this is the new normal because that makes me want to vomit, <laughs> but that's the direction. And and that is like, they yeah. are feeling like you said, there is safety for hate now. And that is yep. sad. Like that's really sad. The stuff that you're seeing every day and hearing about and, you know, whatever level it may be, whether it's political and a wide group that is having something happen to them or, you know, the one person that is feeling like they are now able and quote unquote safe to bully somebody or whatever it may be like, we all have to start making our voices be heard and, you know, on the big political level as well, but also on, I say it here all the time and I feel dumb, but yeah, like I just really feel like people would like our world our nation, our city, our town, our neighborhood, whatever, would do so much better with love and gentle kindness and acceptance, et cetera. Like it is such a big deal. So I'm, I'm you know, with if you. We, if everybody were tolerant and accepting, uh, we wouldn't need to even be talking about this. Mm-hmm. There, we wouldn't need an autism awareness month. We wouldn't need to hold peace rallies or, or to protest against this stuff because people would just be tolerant. You're allowed to be you. As long as you're not hurting anybody, mm-hmm. you're allowed to be you. Yeah. You know, that's sort of a, a pet peeve with me right now is that people feel like, you know, that I, I, I should be more pigeonholed in what I'm doing. But I think they're not seeing the big picture. And, you know, what happens now matters down the road. Yeah. And I want to be standing on the right side of history. I want my kids to know that I was not okay with this. That, that I spoke up and I stood up and I would not allow, uh, I, I did everything in my power as, as one person to counter this and, and to try and, and shove it back where it belongs. And I, you know, I, I sort of feel like I, I have built a platform that's not nearly as big as a lot of other people's, but for me, it's in what I do, it's, it's pretty sizable. Mm-hmm. And, and if I can't utilize that to help put that positive message out uh, or, or to counter things that are going on, then it's like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. I mean, so yeah, I mean, it's totally in a different direction what we were originally going, but, <laughs> That's okay. but yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's important. It's important. You know? Absolutely. I say that all the time. I use that word almost too much because so much of this is, uh, on that big level or on this little level, like these, 
these conversations are important. And I say this all the time, like in my aftermaths with discussions with people, like I, I hope other people are getting something out of this, but even so far as we've come in this, like you are continuing to inspire me and deeply plant those roots all the more of my, yes, I need to be doing this. And yes, I need to be helping my kids with that and spreading this around and et cetera. So I think all of those are good things for whoever is involved in them. Yeah, I agree. I think we only have one shot at life. Yeah. You know, I I think, and, and that is true. Like we do only have that one thing, but how much it can affect and how many people we can affect is up to us. Like, yes, I can stay in my lane and I can only talk about this one subject with this one group of people and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, silo my little group and live in my echo chamber with people that we are all cheering each other on in this one thing, or I can speak up about these other things that are positives. You know, it's not like Mm -hmm. we are trying to spread hate or spread negativity and we can try to make some things better. Like, uh, why would you want to shut that down? Like, that's just ridiculous. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I will say in fairness, uh, <laughs> I, I have responded to things at times in ways that, you know, maybe not all that well thought out. <laughs> reactionary. Uh, reactionary. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Like, it's like, hard not like to. Just, we, if it's a lie, you just call it out. You can't sugarcoat it. Yeah. You just, because we normalize this and we can't do that. We can't allow this to become normalized because it only goes downhill from here. I mean, right. once this is the new normal. I mean, we think this is rock bottom. We'll find out that there's a basement. Oh yeah. And then there's a sub basement and then there's a bomb shelter or, you know, whatever else <laughs> we'll just keep sinking lower and lower. Yeah. And so I, I just feel like there are even specifically for the autism community, there are a lot of things at risk right now. And, you know, if we have leaders make it appear that it's okay to make fun of people with disabilities, what message does that say? I mean, mm-hmm. that's not okay, you know? And so you have to, you have to say something, you have to stand up, I yeah. think anyway. So, so let's, let's, we'll, we'll kind of segue this this back on the road. sort of segueing. <laughs> so let's go to you and your kids. We'll yeah. kind of, you know, we went through some of your childhood and everything. I don't feel like we're throwing out a chunk of anything, but talk about your individual family. Well, my, uh, my wife and I met back in 2000, early 2001. And, uh, she had a one-year-old at that point Mm. from a previous marriage. And, uh, it was very abusive and she had left. Uh, and it was this custody that was an issue at the time. I've, I've raised Gavin as my own ever since then. His biological father was never involved. You know, we had a long court battle with the grandparents, uh, but they were again, very abusive. It was just a very nasty kind of thing where we were in a different court system. There was not, you know, you, you hear people say it's corrupt. People just sort of blow it off. 
but the judge was the ex-brother-in-law to the grandma. And oh gosh. So, I mean, it, it was just, and it's a small, it was a small town where everybody knows each other and we were the outsiders and it just was, you know, we eventually got it yanked up to Stark County where we live and it, it ended pretty quick, but I, I adopted him and, you know, we were able to keep him safe. And then we had Elliot in 2006 and Emmett in 2008. Gavin was diagnosed with autism uh, in 2005 and it was really hard because we didn't know it, it, it eventually explained a lot of the behaviors that we were seeing, but also forced visitations at the time and, and bad experiences during the visits. Mm-hmm. You have behaviors as a result of that. And so it was really hard to sort of tease everything out. But, you know, Gavin is 19 now. Cognitively, he's about five years old. Mm. And so that's challenging. Yeah. Uh, a lot, actually. He is also, well, he has childhood disintegrative disorder, which is a very rare form of autism where uh, you develop typically until you're about four years old and then it you regress. And for him, he presents atypically for something that's really, really rare. So there isn't really a, a lot of knowledge in this area, mm-hmm. but he basically, you know, he, he regressed and he, he continues to regress. He's never really plateaued. Mm. So like he's 19, but somewhere in the neighborhood of, of maybe an older, older toddler, mm-hmm. something, something like that. You're dealing with like a first grader. Yeah. So that's, that's tough. And, and he's schizophrenic. Uh, so that's, that's a, that's a whole nother set of challenges. Mm-hmm. And he has a lot of serious life threatening health conditions as well. And, and that's, that makes things Gosh. difficult as well. Yeah, I'm sure. Elliot and Emmett were diagnosed with autism Roughly about the same time, Emmett was diagnosed first, and then Elliot after that. Uh, Emmett was nonverbal for a long time, uh, but he has since developed exceptional language skills. And both of them are, are very advanced uh, for their age, mm-hmm. like beyond, like Emmett's in fifth grade. But he's there's some things he's doing that's at a seventh or eighth grade level, mm-hmm. and you know he's we have to kind of watch him. Uh, he's too smart he's, for himself. Well, he, he, yeah. I mean, you can't, you have to be so careful because you can't, he doesn't accept simple answers to things because he's not stupid yeah. and he knows there is yeah. more than you're telling me. And if you don't tell me, I'll just go look it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause he, he likes to know how things work and that that's a difficult balance. Uh, because he's, if you talk to him, you would never think that he was only 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's disarming a lot of times you don't realize that cognitively he's advanced but emotionally he's delayed in a lot of areas so there's sort of a thing there and and Elliot is very creative and he's in 7th grade and he's very anxious and things like that but he's brilliant just like his brother and and you know they have a lot of friends at school and and, and things like that and you know it's it's been a very school has been a very positive thing for them they both enjoy school and but we, we have, you know, one of the things that, that we have struggled with is sort of finding a balance in life. For a long time, I sort of feel like, I mean, we sort of sheltered them more than what maybe we should have, looking back on it now, because there was there were so many health issues and things like that, that, you know, you, you become sort of paranoid. You know, I mean, I, trying to just find a, a balance between sort of challenging them to be outside of their comfort zones 
and respecting their limitations. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. We, we, we have a lot of sensory issues, like a lot of sensory issues. That's our, probably one of the biggest challenges we have, you know, clothes, food, it's, it's a nightmare. And, you know, there's a lot of, some people view that if you push them to wear clothes, if they're uncomfortable, that's, that's cruel or whatever. But, you know, we, we challenged, we never really pushed, you know, the idea was not that we're trying to change who they are. The reality is you have to wear clothes. I mean, you just do, you can't go to school without clothes on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, there, there are just certain things that, that we have to, we have to be able to adapt to. And so it's taken a lot of time, but, sure. uh, you know, we, we made progress in there and food is a big issue with, with the kids and, uh, texture and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just, it's, we have, I feel like we've just, we've reached a point where like, I just don't know what to do anymore. Like, like I want us, I want to better ourselves and move us in a better direction, but there is so much baggage and there are so many obstacles that there's times that we just do nothing and we get stagnant. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really, that's really frustrating. You know, we live, we live in a neighborhood that's not, not very good. Uh, kids can't safely play outside, stuff like that. You know, they can be awoke in the middle of the night from gunshots mm. down the street. I mean, it just, aside from the obvious negative things from my childhood growing up, I mean, I, I had, it was a good experience, you know, mm. I mean, we could play outside and uh, aside from that one person, but like my kids don't have that. Like they can't play outside and it's just, it's so hard. I'm, I'm a full-time caregiver. Uh, my wife is, uh, she's an Aspie, but she also has chronic health issues. And, and so she's very limited. And so I'm sort of caretaker for all four of them. Mm-hmm. And that limits me to what I can do to earn a living. Yeah. Right? Or so my blog is my main source of income. And you know, so I have to find a way to sort of divide my time up to put into that and trying to meet everybody's needs, knowing that no matter what I do, it's never going to be enough because their needs far exceed my human limitations. And it's just this constant struggle. You know, everybody wants to move. I can't move until I better ourselves financially. You know, we need to replace our car because it's almost, I don't know how it's still working. Uh, it's not worth fixing anymore, but I can't do that until I can focus on things with work and, and building that up. But in between, there's uh, health crises and medication changes or one of 30 appointments we have that week. You know what I mean? And it's it just, you just sort of feel pulled in too many different directions. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds incredibly overwhelming. It is overwhelming, but it's also like it's it's rewarding and my kids are amazing. Yeah. You know, there's challenge in chaos, but they're amazing, you know? And I think I learned more from them than they could ever learn from me, mm-hmm. you know, and my, my wife, no matter what she has going on, she just, she just keeps going, you know? And, and I hate the word normal, right? People don't like the word normal, Yeah. but like, I, I want to normalize our lives a little bit. Just, just sort of, sort of cut out the highs and the lows and just sort of skate right down, mm-hmm. you know, the middle on, on some kind of level playing field. But, you know, that isn't really how it works. Yeah. And, and I mean, that is, 
your life. Like I say that it's overwhelming and you say that there is chaos and yet it is, it, it is that abnormalcy or whatever the ups and the downs, they all fall mm-hmm. within that range of what is your normal kind of. Yeah. I just want an easier normal sometimes, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. And what was the level of assistance and maybe therapies and all of that that you were getting for your kids when they were young and early on? Gavin was sort of, say, the guinea pig only because he was the first. Mm-hmm. And so we, we had no experience. And so we sort of fumbled our way through. We got him involved in early intervention as soon as we knew that something was going on. Occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy, things like that. Uh, behavioral therapy you know, with just a, a psychologist every week, you know, there was art therapy and stuff like that involved at one point, you know, Elliot and Emmett were very big in occupational and speech. Emmett needed the help with, with talking at first. And then it was just a lot of muscle tone issues and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they had to strengthen and learn to sort of desensitize to some of the sensory things. And, uh, I think that that really helped. That's why I always tell people like, man, you got to get on that as soon as you can and find a way to to challenge without expecting more than what they're capable of, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not always easy and there's no instruction manual, so it can be a little messy at times, but you know, it's all well-intentioned and everybody is, I think better for it at this point. And, you know, like I said, I said earlier, they're in a school for kids with autism. It's a, it's a private charter school that we have here that just focuses on autism and things like ADHD and I think a couple other sort of fall under learning disabilities and they, they do really well there. So they're not even on IEPs anymore because we haven't had to have an IEP meeting. The curriculum is built in such a way that they don't need extra, extra assistance or whatever, mm-hmm. because it's already, they already have the supports in place just every day for all the kids that they are able to, uh, to, to sort of thrive in that environment. So that's really been a positive thing for for everybody i'm sure i know with with my daughter and we talked about this before we were recording so i guess i will just give a brief little thing and my daughter is 10 we uh i think we started talking to our pediatrician at we started talking to her at 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 all those touchstone moments like at one year when she wasn't doing the things that she was supposed to do, which were all like all of these things were foreign to us. You know, first kid, Mm -hmm. you don't know everything that you're supposed to be doing. Like you read what to expect when you're expecting and whatever, maybe Dr. Spock, if you were a real go-getter and Mm -hmm. you don't know about these other things. I don't think parents talked about this with us and I've made a stronger point of talking about it with some parents of these, you know, are some of the skills that you should be working on. Nobody bought, we didn't buy our daughter blocks. And so she had no stacking skills whatsoever and pointing something out to indicate to you to look at it or whatever. She didn't do that. There were a lot of these things that, you know, above and beyond everything else that she was very delayed on and struggling with were things that we just didn't realize. Like we didn't teach her how to point or show her, I guess we just didn't point many things out to her, whatever it was. So anyways, uh, we started with her. I think it was somewhere between 16 and 18 months 
around that time where we started having therapists come into our house daily and doing, yeah, we were doing everything occupational, physical speech eventually, and doing some outside of our house. And basically somebody was at our house almost every single day, sometimes two people. And she was brilliant. Like, I don't know if you have this experience with Emmett and Elliot nor Gavin either, but you know, we would post stuff on Facebook like everybody does. And she had these alphabet cards um, that were the, what is it? The little caterpillar thing or whatever. That's one of the kids books. And yeah, they had an alphabet letter on this on one side and you flipped it over and it was a was for antelope or whatever B was mm-hmm. whatever and butterfly or something. Yeah. And we knew all of them. Like you could, we have the numbers ones. We have the letter ones. We had colors. She wasn't talking, but she could pick anything out of anything. Like she was, and we didn't know again, first kid, We didn't know what the normal was or whatever, but like people were flipping out over the things that she knew and how early she knew her colors and her numbers and whatever. But we were doing all of that and her brilliant mind continued to grow in that brilliance. But there were also all of those things and the textures and the physical, you know, she was, I can't remember how they really kind of said this, but she was overly flexible um, she's still Hi- like hyper flexibility. Yeah. Hyper flexibility to yeah. a level where she didn't trust her own body. And so she was yeah. extremely scared and stepping off a curb was huge for her. Like going up and down stairs, she still mm-hmm. is kind of slow with that kind of stuff. She's very cautious. And have you had her checked for Euler's Danlos? No, never heard those uh, words before. That is, it's a connective tissue disorder that is common comorbid with autism mm. my wife has it all of the kids have it and it's where you have a uh, very very poor muscle tone your joints are loose so you might get some joints popping and stuff like that and and like you said uh they can be very sort of unsteady mm. uh like uh steps are difficult sometimes things like that but yeah that's that's a very common that that hypermobility is that's been a challenge i can totally relate to that yeah, you know, the double jointedness, mm-hmm. et cetera. Like I was, I was going to say, like I took a picture of her last week or something and I looked and she was just casually holding her arm, but her arm was basically backwards elbowing <laughs> in a way it where I was you, like, oh. it makes you cringe. You're like, Oh my God, don't do that. <laughs> it yeah, can't yeah. be good. Exactly. Oh um, yeah. I have something new to look up after this. Euler's Danlos. Yep. So when you were doing that with, Emmett and Elliot and with Gavin, like Mm -hmm. how was that process for you guys? Uh, The therapies actually were pretty good. We have, it's now all Akron Children's Hospital now, but you know, they, it's a lot of, it's like play therapy. Like, like they learn to strengthen without realizing that that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's rock walls and, and very creative ways of, of helping them build strength and, and sort of learn to control sort of have better control over their bodies. They do a lot of things that help to desensitize uh, them to physical stimulus, like textures of clothing, which has always been a, a problem, shoes and socks, things like that. And they, you know, they challenge them with games and stuff like that. And so the, the kids do this stuff as part of the game, not realizing that it's helping them to 
to better tolerate their clothes. Or yeah. a lot of people don't know this, but when you have feeding issues, like sensory issues with food or chewing, swallowing issues, stuff like that, you go to speech therapy. I didn't know that, uh, but mm. you do. You go to speech therapy for that, and they they help with that. And it was it was always a very positive experience. You know, they yeah. they they sort of aged out of it a little bit right now. Like they they hit the point where they're not. They sort of hit the ceiling mm-hmm. as far as like how they can progress before they have to before insurance decides they're not going to pay for anything anymore. Yeah, right. So we usually have to take it like a year off or something and then they go back and they'll get reevaluated and, you know, probably get six months of therapy or you want to see what they retain, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you take, you take some time off and then you get reevaluated and, and if they're maintaining and they're improving, then that's, that's a positive thing and they don't maybe need the extra help. But if, if they start to struggle in areas, then you get them reevaluated and uh, make sure that they get the help they need to, sort of overcome, you know, whatever their particular challenges in that time in their life. So, and before we were recording, you, uh, were talking about the conversations that you have and have had with them now that they are getting older. And mm-hmm. what did that original, like, am I assuming that you had a conversation with them at some point that was kind of the autism version of the birds and the bees? <laughs> Oh, well, uh, <laughs> we, well, that's actually been recently. Um, we've never really had that talk with Gavin mm-hmm. only because capacity wise, like he, he's, he's not going to get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we've had a conversations where it is appropriate. Um, but you know, we've had to have, well, I've had to have, cause my wife always throws me under the bus. Uh, awkward conversations with the kids and it's it's been from the sort of the most mundane things that man the car rides home let me tell you (laughs) whenever i pick the kids up and i ask them how their day went we have this ritual that we do and elliot tells me one day that he got in trouble at school he doesn't understand why and i said i said what happened and he said well he was talking with one of his friends at school. They were standing outside the bathroom or something in line. And, you know, they play, I think it was Terraria. They were talking about playing Terraria, that tablet game or Tony Xbox too. Mm. It's sort of like a 2d Minecraft thing. And he was asking his friend, he was stuck on this boss or something like that. And he asked his, he asked his friend, he's like, well, what do you use to lure him out so that you can fight him? And, and the kid said, masturbate, right? Masturbate, two words. Like oh, the type boy. of bait, use the master bait instead of yeah. the whatever, yeah. whatever the other stuff is. I don't know. Whoever designed the game should be shot. That's that's a terrible. So he, all the teachers heard was them talking about master bait. They tried to explain when, when the teachers came over and approached them about it, and, and they were getting in trouble. They they explained no. They're talking about this thing in the game. You know, it's the type of bait you have to use the master bait. Like, do you remember Zelda, like the master sword? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's two words, right? Two distinct words. And so when the teachers realized that it was a misunderstanding, they didn't explain what the misunderstanding was. They just sent the kids home to talk to their parents <laughs> about Gosh. it. Nobody said anything to us. I mean, I, I sort of thought maybe they should have, like, called and just said, hey, this is what happened. Yeah. You know, maybe we need to talk to them about this. Uh, and so 
when he explained what had happened, as soon as he said, it, I was like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I understand why they, and he's like, why? I don't understand. And then I had to have that conversation <laughs> oh, with God. them. And, and so I have him and Emmett in the car and they're both looking at each other like, Oh my God. Like, and, uh, yeah, we, we've, we've had conversations w- when things like that sort of spark a need mm-hmm. to have something. And then thankfully we have, a family therapist we've had for, I don't know, about 18 years now. And we go every week, sometimes twice a week, depending on how the week falls. And and she just manages the kids and, and helps to make sure everybody's on uh, the right path and nobody's getting sort of lost in a shuffle and helps to make sure everybody has a safe place to talk and whatever. So mm-hmm. she's been a godsend for us. Uh, we can always say, you know what, we'll talk about that on Tuesday when we see Dr. Petty, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Because well, because you know when 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 you have kids on the spectrum, you have to be careful. You can't just have well. Sometimes, anyways, you can't just have the talk like you would with a more typical situation. Because there's, you know, sometimes like my kids are very literal, and they don't pick up on the nuances. And so I have to be very careful. It's like verbal gymnastics, and I'm not very good at it. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to sort of sensitive things like that, we will seek advice from the therapist who has absolutely yeah. no problems having that conversation. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we've had to have, you know, we haven't like sat down and said, okay, guys, this is where babies come from. Or, uh, they understand well, now because we've had bits and pieces of it. But Right. So all, although this was an amazing story you just told, <laughs> um, unfortunately... I worded my question oddly, and you took it to the literal sense of the birds and the bees, whereas I was kind of meaning, did you have, I'm assuming that you did because of how you were saying that you talk with them about your blog and everything. Did you have a kind of a birds and bees detailing this is the story of about autism with them? Oh, 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 oh. Boy, I totally took that. Sorry, Rob. It's going to sound so weird now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, we did, and it would have been a long, it was a long time ago when we did this. Mm-hmm. We we did not take a very clinical approach to it. We have, and, and what, we, what we actually did was, the easiest way to explain it to them was to, to sort of use Gavin as an example. Uh, because it, but by that point, it's pretty obvious that he has things going on. And mm-hmm. so we had to have these conversations anyways. And, and we would just say things like, you know, everybody is built differently and everybody's brain works differently. And some people are wired in, in different ways and, and uh, respond to things differently. And we, we, we talked about, you know, autism and, and that, you know, that's why, you know, you have some sensitivities to, foods and you don't like clothing and you know shoes and socks stuff like that mm-hmm. and you know the hard thing is they're they're very very intelligent mm-hmm. and so they don't accept sort of sugar-coated answers like they yeah try and get them to back off yeah uh, yeah you but you can't you have to remember that they're emotionally not where they are intellectually and right they can't handle certain things. And so, you know, we had to be very careful how we approached it. And, and it was just, look, everybody's different. Some people 
people with autism, their brains are just wired differently. They, they, they see the world different. They experience things differently. It's not a bad thing. It, it's just different. You know, it's what makes you, you, mm-hmm. and we never, we've never made it a, a negative thing. Cause I don't, you know, it's, it's a, it's a mixed bag with that because like, I would never want to take away, like I, I could never separate autism from who they are because yeah, it, it's so tightly interwoven with who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, the personalities, everything we love about them is you'd never be able to separate the two with, with Gavin, you know, he's a different, it's a different situation because he, when he started to regress, it, it completely changed his personality. He, he, we put him to bed one kid and he woke up somebody completely different. Mm. It was like, it was like someone came down and replaced him with a copy. You know, all the things he liked and disliked changed. He didn't like giving hugs. He, he didn't, we didn't even recognize him anymore. And, and so, you know, if I could remove that, I, I would want to, because it sort of mm-hmm. stole him away, if that makes sense. But that's sort of a rare case. It doesn't happen very often. You just have to be cognizant of, of their developmental age and, and, and be appropriate you know, you don't want to, you don't want to paint it in a bad light and you don't want to, you know, I mean, not, some people look at it as a superpower. I mean, I've never viewed it like that because I try to be a realist. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's good and bad just like there is with anybody else, you know? Right. Um, totally. We all have challenges. Yeah. And, yeah. and your challenges may be more significant at times or they may be different, but you're just you. I, I've never, you know, I don't call them, Hey, autism. 10 year old or something. I mean, it's, I call them by their name. I mean, we, we hardly ever mm-hmm. use the word in the house. Uh, I write about it, but we never actually say it out loud because it's just, yeah. it, it's not, it's not something that, and it's always weird when I hear them refer to themselves as being autistic. I don't know. It always just seems weird to me just to hear that come out of their mouth because we just never, we never talk about it like that. We just, we'll talk about sensory things a lot because that's sort of a big thing. We just have a, a very casual conversation and, and make it as black and white as straightforward and as I guess emotionless as, mm-hmm. as you can very matter of fact so that there's no misinterpreting anything or reading into anything or, or anything like that. So it's messy because you have no idea whether you did the right thing until long after it's over done with. Right. Totally. And, and, and with can't fix it. anything. Yeah. I mean, it's a moving target a lot of times. Yeah. We haven't had that conversation with our daughter at all, and it would obviously be very different. And our daughter is extremely like you are saying about Emmett. She wants to diagnose stuff and wants to research it and dig into it. And we, you know, she's at that age where she's going into middle school next year, which will be a completely different world for her with some of the things that she struggles with and for her as a girl going into middle school from what we are hearing and you don't have to have this experience. I do not, but we, we got her a, you know, we're kind of getting to that point where she's starting to ask questions and um, more so about her body and whatever. And so my wife found this book that, she talked with about some other mom and it's, I think it's like made by, I can't remember which maybe American girl or something like that. And it talks about it's for that age group to read about their changes and, you know, makes it 
at their level of understanding and whatever. And she has probably in a week and a half read that thing maybe 10 times already. And she is, you know, asking every, as I was putting her to bed last night, she is asking questions. The most uncomfortable questions she could possibly ask. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I fortunately get to pawn a lot of that onto her mom because I say to her, like, I am a boy, so you get to deal with that with mommy. (laughs) But, you know, like she, she has now started to ask me, what are, what do boys have to go through? What are boys struggles through puberty? And Fortunately, she keeps asking me at bedtime, and so I say, ah, let's, this is not the right time. We'll- oh, we'll have to talk about it tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. I feel for you, man. Like I, My wife just joked about this yesterday because we had a conversation with the kids because they, they said something in the car, and I was like, oh, man, you don't want to say that. You don't have any idea what you just said. <laughs> uh, and I had to have that uncomfortable conversation. We came home and my wife just laughs because she's like, you know what? We agree that if we had girls, I would be the one to do that. And if we had boys, you yeah. would be the one to do that. Yeah. I would not. I don't know how girls are. Girls are tough, man. Yeah. For us too, it's, it's girls. Like my wife, she works at the school that my, that our kids go to kind of as a like monitor mm-hmm. during recesses and lunches cool. and whatever out on the blacktop. And she, do they call it blacktop still? Asphalt? Do. I don't know what you're supposed to say. I always say blacktop, man. If you know, if your kids are standing outside a bathroom and talking about asphalt, and p- parents or teachers overhear them, you may have to have a conversation <laughs> about that. Um, but anyway, she she goes there and she sees even she says even in first grade, like the groups of mean girls that are there oh, yeah. is out of control and very, very real. And, you know, I go to the father daughter dances with my daughter or whatever, whatever school event. And Mm -hmm. I can see like every time it makes my heart a little bit heavy because she, like I said, she is, is that quirky, different girl because of her behaviors and her heart is so big and she just wants to be friends with everybody like we'll be at the grocery store and she'll see a girl her age and she'll ask me if she can go talk to her and meet her and you know she just wants to be friends with people and wants to talk to people and the girls that are not on that level and are you know talking crap already and thinking bad things and creating their gossip circles like it just it breaks our heart a little bit for the idea of middle school. And, you know, it is one of those things that you kind of just, to a certain extent, you have to hope for the best and let things happen as they will. And hope, like we were talking about earlier, that adults are being good people and mm-hmm. hopefully teaching their kids good things and being good examples to them and that they are not going to be whatever to yeah. your kid in school. So, you know, we had, I, 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 I've been meaning to brag about this like for weeks. We have a very close relationship with the school. And I always encourage people, if you're worried about what happens to your kids at school, be as involved as you can, 
because you are more likely to pick up on things. You have a better relationship with, mm-hmm. with the teachers. You know, you get more comfortable. They're more comfortable talking to you. It's just a better thing for everybody. But we have a really good relationship with the uh, administration at school. And the secretary came out uh, a couple weeks back to let me know that she had, they had given Emmett an award because he was sitting at lunch with his friend and there was a new girl uh, who had come into the school and was having a very difficult time sort of making friends. Mm. Most of the kids there are autistic, you know, somewhere on the spectrum mm-hmm. or they, they have other behavioral things. So, I mean, it's not like maybe like in a public school setting where someone really sticks out, you know, nobody really sticks out, but for whatever reason, this, this girl was just struggling and, and she was eating lunch by herself and she was really sad and she was really upset and, just like the school knew that it was an issue and Emmett got up on his own, went over and asked her to come sit with him and his friend so mm. that she didn't have to eat alone. And, you know, the school witnessed it and then they, they rewarded the behavior, you know, mm-hmm. and they made a big deal of it because that's, that's a really positive thing to yeah. do rather than just ignore her or be part of the problem. They, they embraced her and brought her into the fold and, and, you know, the secretary was telling me like, you know, her parents have been so worried that you know, this little girl is miserable all the time. And that, mm-hmm. you know, he has no idea the impact that he just had. She's like, you just changed her life. And yeah. he's 10 years old. You know, when I, I look at her and I'm like, <laughs> it's like, well, maybe, maybe we did something right. You know, you like, you feel yeah, like yeah. maybe something sticks and that's, you know, that's why we do it. We, we, we just, try and be a positive example. And that's, and, you know, and hopefully like with your daughter, that there are, there are people out there who, who will be that way. You know what I mean? Who, right. Who will, will offer kindness and compassion and see past the quirks or maybe embrace the quirks. Cause I, right. my wife, my wife is super quirky. And I mean, we didn't realize that she was autistic until much later, but super quirky. Right. And so she had a hard time mm-hmm. in school because of that. But the quirkiness is one of the things that I fell in love with a long time ago. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's, totally. it's something that, that, that I, others may find annoying or may think is weird or, uh, whatever. I find it endearing and I, mm-hmm. I find it unique and I find it, I mean, sometimes things are annoying, right? Cause anybody can be annoying, but it's, it's those things that, that, that people will learn, make us who we are make you stand out, but not necessarily in a bad way. It makes you, it makes you who you are. And, and, yeah. and if we teach our kids to embrace those things, like, you know, that's, that's really cool that you like this and, and you're very focused, you know, or, you know, whatever. And you can, you can find a way to, to, to incorporate that in, you know, and, and, and the kids can learn from each other rather than, you know, stand on one side of a line or, or the other. And I would hope that as time goes on, you know, people become more tolerant and kids become kinder mm-hmm. and, and less, you know, I mean, I, I tell my kids sometimes like, look, some kids are just a-holes. It's just the way it is. I mean, mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do about that. It doesn't matter whether they have autism or they don't. Some kids are just like that and there is nothing you can do about it. And And you know what? We just ignore them because there is I mean, you give them all your power when you allow them to have any control over you. So just, just, you know, you can't fix that. Yeah. So just, just move on and, and, you know, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. No, it's all, 
That's all very true. And it all goes, you know, for us as adults in the same way and for our kids. And we are, I'm giving this episode and maybe my podcast in general, and obviously the stuff that you do, that stamp of we are trying to do our part. And we are very hopeful that other people are going to do theirs as well and are recognizing that like, God, I I just to make this last point on that. And it's kind of I'm sorry for the um, uh, what is uh, Mr. Ed that we are kind of beating up as he is a corpse beneath us. But (laughs) it's okay to beat this dead horse because and just in case PETA comes after me, no horses were actually harmed in the recording of this mm-hmm. podcast. I didn't hear anything. But I, I, I think that if we all can't agree that uh, – I, I just don't get parents that think that showing hate and that their kids picking up on that and doing it as well, that they think there is anything A-okay with that. And yeah, I, I just, I think it should be very easily recognizable. And I guess it's one of the frustrating things that not everybody does of how much kindness and love and acceptance and tolerance does for us as a people, mm-hmm. as humankind, like that is something we all need to do. And you never know how one act of kindness can, can change somebody's life. I mean, you may have somebody mm-hmm. who's on the edge. And, and you could push them in one direction or the other, you know, without even knowing it. And, and you could be a jerk and push them over the edge in, in the wrong way. Yeah. Or you could be a decent human being and show kindness and, and be understanding and be empathetic and, you know, sh- show just like, like just human decency. And, and you may be what sort of changes the course of their life. You know, mm-hmm. in, in a positive way, and, and pulls them back from that edge, and and you just so you, you just don't know what anybody's dealing with, and uh, everybody has more going on beneath the surface than what we see, and we tend to judge yeah. only what we see, and that is very frustrating, but it's human nature, right? You can't fix that. No, I agree with all of this. I think we are on the same accord of that. So, absolutely. Well, Rob, I. This has been awesome. Like I said, fairly early on, like I have been really kind of not that I not that my battery was dead or anything like that, but you really have rejuvenated and inspired a lot of these things that I have been brewing on and thinking of all along for quite some time now. And I I appreciate all that you are doing all that you do for um, not only advocating for your kids and for autism in general, but the fact that you are not staying in your lane is very appreciated. <laughs> so keep doing it. That is one thing I am not good at is staying in my lane. <laughs> yeah, that's I will good. never be accused of being someone who's good at that. Good. I, I appreciate it. This was really, this was, this was a really good conversation. I really like having these types of conversations because I think it just, it's it's so much better. People can relate to it, and and I, and I think that hopefully it'll it'll resonate, and and people will uh, maybe take away something that maybe they didn't know before. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. To- 
Of course. Thank you for being very open to it. When I reached out to you originally, I do appreciate that. So if you want to reach out to Rob, I will reiterate that you can do that. You can go to the autism dad.com. Yep. Everything is there. That is your easiest place to find all of his things and go back as far as you want. And you can also check out his podcast, the autism dad. If you want to hear some more of these stories and you don't have the time to please don't read his website while you're driving. So <laughs> use the podcast while you're that's, driving. That's definitely. We don't endorse that. <laughs> read while you're sitting at home. <laughs> so thanks, Rob. I appreciate all the time. And thanks also to your wife and kids for allowing me to take this much of uh, nighttime time from you guys. Uh, it was, it was a pleasure. I truly, it was, I really appreciate it. So Thank you very much. Okay, and that is the end of my conversation with Rob Gorski. Again, like he was saying, like we were kind of saying, we really hope that some of that resonated with you guys. Like I was saying at the beginning, I hope that inspired you. I hope that we inspired you. I hope that we gave some of you an extra little nudge of wanting to do, I'm not going to say random acts of kindness. I don't want to get sued by them or chicken soup for the soul or whatever, but I hope we did inspire you guys to be nice to people, to do kind and loving things for others and to not be afraid to do those things and to continue to stand up for tolerance, acceptance, love of other people. Those, I, I can only imagine and dream of a world where that is a larger driving force of all of us. And it's a beautiful thing. Like it really is. It looks like an amazing thing. So let's all continue to contribute to that. So again, you should check out Rob at theautismdad.com. And you can find Daddy Unscripted everywhere, online, on social media, daddyunscripted.com. I am on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all as Daddy Unscripted. You can send me an email at daddyunscripted at gmail.com. And again, I will thank Rob for all of his time. I will thank Umphreys McGee for allowing me to have their music on the podcast. You should check them out at umphreys.com. Again, check out OsirisPod.com to see any of these other great podcasts in the Osiris Podcast Network. Check out our partners, JamBase.com. And I will now, as I greeted you in Maltese, I will now say goodbye to you in Maltese by saying, In Salimlek. So, goodbye, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Tell a friend about the podcast. And all good things to all of you and to everybody that you love and surrounds you until the next time. Mm-hmm.